If you find you're butting heads with people in charge, it's common that the stated goals or priorities for the project actually differ from the individuals. Hello, you've reached Hotline Design Podcast. How may we help you? And welcome back to Hotline Design Podcast. In this week's episode, we're tackling part two of articulating design decisions. We're continuing on with our discussion on how we communicate with stakeholders, keep everyone sandy, and deliver the best possible user experiences. So last week, we spoke about articulating design decisions before and leading up to kind of stakeholder meetings. And in this week's episode, we want to explore continue communications following meetings with your stakeholders and how you can really continue to reinforce those design decisions. So continuing on, here are a couple of our tips and tricks. So point four leading on from last week is all about treating stakeholders with empathy. I think that's a really great topic to start off with for this week's episode. How good are we as designers in treating stakeholders with empathy? That's a really great question, Yusin. And actually, I like to think back to our episode with Stephen Brown, where he he mentioned this point about being really empathetic towards stakeholders and realizing that sometimes you get in the mind frame of like, you really have your beret on and you're like, oh, the stakeholders just don't get it. They don't understand. They're like, they're not understanding when really these are people with different skills that come from a different place in the organization so they might not understand design nor should they down to the kind of granular level that we do so it's all about being able to put yourself in their shoes and really work to make a cohesive team absolutely i think though that as a group we do probably have a little bit of insecurity because I think historically design hasn't really been taken seriously. And as a result, I think a lot of us are kind of like, well, the stakeholders probably see designers like making things pretty, which is wrong. Therefore, we are going to tell them what it's actually about. So I think from that comes a lot of what is the opposite of empathy? Disrespect. (laughs) disrespect (laughs) maybe like superiority in a sense but driven probably from insecurity actually and i'm i'm not talking that everyone is like that but from my experience i think we we do fall into those traps and i definitely have many a times and i probably still will although i try my best not to one kind of anecdote i have here is this week I started working on a new project and I'm mainly taking over everything UX and I'm collaborating with a UI designer who is actually more than a UI designer. I think usually he's kind of like an art director and he was incredibly modest when he was kind of... I put in a meeting to chat about how to collaborate best, like what does he need from me from a UX perspective? How does he like it delivered? So the handover is um, good or how, how do we best collaborate? And I think... What I really admired was his modesty and how he was like, I don't really mind. And also, I don't really care about like 
my designs and how great my designs are. I really believe in teamwork. And as long as the project is delivered to the best standard, that's what's most important. And I don't know if this is necessarily relevant to treating stakeholders with empathy, but I think it was a light bulb moment for me because sometimes I'm very worried that if I can't put a project in my portfolio, it's almost a waste of time. And he kind of like opened up my eyes that, you know what, this is not about me. This is not about my portfolio. This is about solving the user problems, solving the stakeholder problems, making sure that stakeholders get what they need from the project as well. So that's kind of like how I feel like it ties in. I I really like that, actually. You mentioned that a lot of it's about ultimately delivering the best possible user experience to users and I think just kind of like checking your ego at the door and I think what you said about how sometimes maybe designers aren't always the best at being empathetic to its stakeholders needs because they almost see themselves like as a separate part or you know they're like cross people and feel like stakeholders are encroaching on their territory almost I, I definitely kind of relate to some of that I think historically because design has always been seen as somewhat a separate function or a part of the business that you only bring in later on. Mm. I think designers, myself included, and obviously not all designers, might fall into the trap of thinking, okay, like, you know, I have that knowledge. Stakeholders don't know what they're talking about. But ultimately, like you mentioned with your example of talking to this senior UI designer, yeah, like, I think your job, in, in addition to advocating for the users, also to think... And I think work together the rest of your team and think about what goals like you want to collectively reach as, as a team. And, and I think that's just really useful to remember. I think it's not just about the value that you bring, but if you are empathetic to your stakeholders as well and understand where they're coming from, I think it helps everyone see that they're part of the same team and just like realigns everyone's goals. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really well put. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think those are great points. So of course... We have a quote from friend of the pod, Tom Griever. So he said, if you find you're butting heads with people in charge, it's common that the stated goals or priorities for the project actually differ from the individuals. Yeah, the individual being like the finance director or whatever. Exactly. Who's in the room. So I think it's really important mm. to align on goals as early as you can and make sure that you're checking in to just ensure that, yeah, these are the same or if they are evolving, that all parties are aware. So with this point of treating stakeholders with empathy, this is one of my favorite things to do in that like the best way to treat someone with empathy is to really understand and bond with them. So I like to treat work as an opportunity to make workplace friends. So I think it's really great to kind of have that place and space where you work, but also to try to understand who that person is as a human. So I like to kind of check in. I like to poke around initially and like see if people have kind of a fun sense of humor as well. In in these times, obviously, like one of Tom uh, Griever's pieces of advice is to stop by someone's desk and kind of just start an impromptu chat with them just to get to know them a bit better. Unfortunately, because a lot of us are still working remotely, you can't really do that as much. But I always love picking out certain things in people's like Zoom backgrounds 
or Microsoft Teams backgrounds and kind of striking up like a little conversation about that. I also think it's it's really great to, if you're the first two people on a call, to kind of just have like that that small talk, especially asking them about what they're doing on their weekend. Just getting to know them a little bit better. You can kind of understand a bit, a bit more about them and start to even kind of suss out like how best to work with them and learn about their personal ways of working style. What I would add to this is if you don't necessarily always have the opportunity to get to know certain stakeholders because of their seniority or how high up they are or anything at all, do you kind of leverage the friends that you do make that they might know more about those stakeholders and empathize with them that way? It's like secondary research on your stakeholders, just in case you don't necessarily have the luxury of getting to know them one-to-one. That's a great point. I think I was just going to say as well, I think a key part of displaying your empathy is to just be a really good active listener, because a lot of the time on design meetings, and I've definitely been guilty of this, I feel like a stakeholder might start to say something, you know, I, I might listen to them, but I don't know if I'm actually listening actively to try and understand like where they're coming from. And I think that this is a good skill in general, and also a good reminder for myself that, you know, if someone says something, I've definitely started um, listening, I think, to their feedback and for them to finish saying whatever it is and take the time to actually formulate a well-crafted response rather than just jump in and try and defend my design decision immediately. Because I think if you take the time to listen to them, it also displays that you know, you're trying to see where they're coming from and you're not being very quick or defensive. And I think that also definitely helps to strengthen the relationship between you and your stakeholders. 100%. Especially if it's like a piece of work in consulting, like the stakeholders normally will have a lot more context than you will if it's like, say, a project you've just moved on to. So it's really important to listen actively, as you said, Yusin, to what they have to say and really take that on board. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One tip actually from the book that I just remember now is to lead with a yes. So if, say, a stakeholder gives some feedback, listen to what they say and then be just really positive about it. It's all about the mindset, I feel. And if you lead with the yes, you're presenting yourself or you're putting yourself into that positive state and you're not just shutting down their suggestion immediately. You don't obviously have to say, yes, we're definitely going to do this, but you can say things like, yes, I think that's really great. I understand where you're coming from. Take the time to thank the stakeholders for the feedback that they've given and then just say, I think this definitely merits further consideration. We could talk about it in the next meeting or definitely put it in the backlog as something to look at. And I think just having that really positive response where you start with a yes also helps to cultivate stronger relationships between you and your stakeholders. Yeah, you'll get a lot more from the stakeholder if you're leading with the yes and, and you will get more in the improv realm if you lead with yes and. It's never good to just <laughs> shut anyone down right away with the dreaded no. I feel like, Lauren, we did talk about this. Was it last week? I think that you are naturally really good at doing this and building relationships with stakeholders, being very positive. I like what you said about taking time outside of work to get to know this person as, you know, like a human for all of their interests and hobbies outside of work. I mean, if you have the opportunity to, and not just see them as, you know, like a developer or a business analyst or a 
I don't know, finance director. Ultimately, you're all part of the same team and it doesn't, it makes you see them, you know, just someone that you're here to work with and they're here to create a better user experience together and hopefully have fun in the process. Yeah, definitely repping like team socials in this economy, especially if they like have to, if you have to work remotely, you can also kind of find creative ways to do socials uh, where maybe you all like enter kind of a VR chat room and stuff like that. You love Amiibo. I, I love Amiibo. Not sponsored, but would like to be sponsored. <laughs> Call the hotline. So what we'd also like to talk about are some tactics to just better communicate your designs in the actual meeting. And we've got quite a few actually, like plucked from the Articulating Design Decisions book. What are some of the go-to tactics for both of you for communicating the value of your designs during design meetings? I think my number one one is to always communicate. I mean, not always. I'm, I'm taking that back. When feasible, communicate the decision from the lens of a user. So when you mention that you put a component of a specific part of the UI or you decided that a specific action takes place at this step in the journey and not before any decision you make you can hopefully back it up from the user's perspective through research hopefully it's it's obviously very difficult to do this if you don't have access to research or you just there's no budget or anything at all we do we do know that that is a struggle but even in those kind of scenarios you can always look at secondary research and see maybe your target user what are their behaviors and how you can make decisions with them in mind so that way when a stakeholder maybe mentions something that wouldn't be aligned you have something to fall back on and you say yes that is a great suggestion what we know from our users is that they work through this problem in this way and this is why we made the decision i hope that that makes sense it's it's usually the number one way in which i make a decision from the user perspective so that's kind of how i like to communicate them as well another kind of tactic for better communicating your designs i would say is appealing to a nobler motive using data so i think it's really important to be able to back up what you're saying with facts stats kind of gold standard ways of working so that it's not just like a, in my opinion, or take my word for it. There's actually some concrete support behind it. And business stakeholders, especially some of the more senior stakeholders, really respond well to numbers. And it really helps to kind of quantify the decision. I think gives them a bit more assurance of why you're making these decisions. So if you can, I would say, come with the receipts come with the facts uh, and use that as a powerful tool to communicate to your stakeholders. Yeah, I, I love both of those points. I think there's also a bridge between them, right? Because if you know that your stakeholders tend to respond well to quantitative data and you're also doing user research on a regular basis to understand the user, you're basically doing two things in one if you do that user research and then you synthesize some of those insights coming up your user research and play it back to your stakeholders. I think it just shows a really strong case for why you've designed something the way you have, because you've spoken to users, you've done like the research and 
this is how the proposed design is going to impact user behavior. So I think overall, like representing the user and appealing to a nobler motive are probably the sort of like founding things you should think about when you want to communicate your designs to stakeholders. And apart from those principles, there are a couple of more tactical things you can do during the actual meeting to showcase the value of your designs. So some of the tactics that are really helpful, there are five of them. So first of all, it's really to show a comparison. I think people in general respond really well to visuals. So it's always a good idea to take a screenshot of the current design and then put that side by side next to your proposed design and just pick up what the differences are between the before and after and explain why you put in you know, those additional features or why you tweak something based on the user goals. And just having that side-by-side -side comparison means it's really clear for stakeholders to understand, first of all, what you've done and to see firsthand for themselves how the new design is better than the old one. I mean, hopefully, if everything goes well, they'll agree to your design decision. But if they don't, then it's always a good idea to propose an alternative or have some stashed away because this shows that you've also made really thoughtful design decisions. This also goes back to your point in the previous episode, Lavinia, where you said when you prepare for a meeting, not everything has to be perfect or super hi-fi. A lot of the time, you know, your first design is rarely the one that people run with. So having a couple of alternatives, even if they're just like sketches or wireframes, will really help everyone in the room understand the amount of work you've gone through. But also, you know, if they don't like the design that you're going with, then you can take them back through the alternatives and essentially like give people a choice as to what works best. The third tactic really is to give stakeholders a choice between something you know they want and a new thing that they're suggesting. And with giving a choice, um, it's more than just proposing some alternative solutions. It's also telling them, for example, if they were to make a specific design change, what impact that would have further down the line. Giving stakeholders a choice means that you're laying out all of the possible options and asking them to kind of reconsider doing something because you're also very clear about what trade-off that new design decision leads to. So for example, and I'm just taking some of these examples verbatim from Tom's book because he explains it really clearly, you could say something like, hey stakeholder, if we add that new call to action, it's going to move the login form further down the page and so it's going to impact the discoverability or the visibility of that login form. Or you could say something like, if we add this new feature, that's going to require some time. So if we do that, we won't be able to launch with the dashboard graphs. And I think just by telling them that you're open to these choices, but that it will have implications further down the line, makes them understand like why exactly you're choosing to lead with the design that you're proposing. A fourth tactic from Tom's book really is to also ask other people to weigh in. So often, you know, with designs, it's not really clear cut because you need the knowledge of like a combined group of people rather than just the knowledge from a single individual. And in this case, it's really helpful to ask other people on the team what they think um, if you're having difficulty coming to a consensus. It's especially great if you have a key decision maker, because sometimes when it's really difficult to reach that common decision, a key decision maker can really put their foot down, and help the team move forward as a group. And with asking others to weigh in, I know we've all been in those meetings where there are super like awkward silences where you ask a question and then no one responds. And I've definitely felt that I've had to jump in at those times. This goes back to, 
I think our episode with Dan, where he said, there's always like an unspoken six second rule. So after you ask your question, just wait, literally count six seconds without saying anything and hold on to that because eventually the wait will be so unbearable for the rest of the team that someone will chip in. And if no one actually says anything, then you can also choose to call on people if you have a good relationship with them. You can be like, hey, Lauren, what do you think? And without necessarily putting them on the spot, I think it just gives like other people an opportunity to weigh in and also helps you feel like you're less alone in making this important decision. And the very final tactic is just to postpone the decision. So if it's really difficult to come to a consensus on the call, then it might just help to wait or give it a few days if time permits. Maybe after the call, you know, like follow up, send through your designs, send through the rationale. It might help to just give the decision makers or the stakeholders a few days to mull over it. If it does come to that, just postpone it or add it to your agenda for the next meeting. That's probably a really good way as well to just not force anyone to make a decision in that moment. The last one is the one I struggle with the most. I usually am like, oh, we came to this meeting. I can't wait for the decision to be made so I can kind of like move on to the next feature or anything else. I think that's a really good point out of all of them that I'm probably going to take on board too. Yeah, put put in practice in my day to day because I, I, I think I do tend to be quite impatient. And if we apply the empathy to stakeholders philosophy to this if they've just seen something it is quite hard to like decide on the spot without thinking of further considerations but yeah those were some great tactics of articulating your decisions throughout the meeting if the decisions have been made during the meeting one of the most important parts is to make sure that you follow up this is something that I've been guilty of not doing, especially at the start of my career. I think it was just kind of, I was so drained from the meeting because I was putting so much energy into it. And I was like, oh, it's done now. And I would just kind of like go make myself some tea and just chill for 10 minutes and not do anything. But actually, it's really important that you follow up as quickly as possible. We do have a great quote from Tom. He says, you need to follow up while it's still fresh in everyone's mind, including yours, before anyone has a chance to forget and disagree with the decisions they've already made. Because I'm sure I'm not the only person here who uh, was in a situation where someone decided something in a meeting and then they're like, nah, no, I, I, I never said that or I don't think that's how it should be anymore. And you can imagine how frustrating that is because you kind of thought you had consensus and you kind of have to start over. Therefore, we already touched on the follow-up in the last session, so I'm going to keep it brief and not repeat everything else. But it's really important that you summarize every single decision made. So maybe you use the agenda template like Lauren suggested in the last episode, or if you do buy the book, I think Tom has his own templates for follow-up, or you can make your own based on kind of your experience or the specific format of that meeting. Also, if possible, do link everything that you referenced in the meeting. This can be Figma files, Miro boards, Google files, presentations, PDFs, 
anything that you use in a meeting and is kind of not secret or can be shared through email or Google Drive or Dropbox or anything you use, do allow stakeholders to look through them in their own time, especially if you kind of follow last tactic, the last tactic that Yusin mentioned uh, about allowing them time to make a decision. And incredibly important, which again, I used to not do, do lay out next steps. Based on the decisions we made, what is the next step? Are we moving to the next feature? Are we making some design changes? If we're making design changes, when are they due by? Also, don't be afraid to kind of like ask other people and assign tasks to them. If someone in the meeting said, I'll come back to you with a decision by 27th of September, then put that into the email. If someone says, I will update these designs, put that in the email. Everything that is a next step, make sure it's documented because otherwise it doesn't, no one has to be kind of malicious and not do something. People just forget. So I think that's, that's really, really important as well. And always kind of like manage expectations through your email as well. If there's something that you agreed that you're not gonna do based on a follow-up, do put that in as well. And yeah, I think that's it from a follow-up perspective. I love all those points. And I kind of like the idea of if it's not documented, is it even real? Because yeah, then we're just relying on people's like memories and mine is hazy at the best of times. So definitely. So is mine. I would say that (laughs) as someone that has been sending follow-up emails recently, even though my immediate reaction after a draining meeting is to quickly go to buzzfeed quizzes because because <laughs> i'm a now we know. millennial um yeah which it's kind of random but i i have enjoyed yeah sticking in the agenda template but then i actually put the actions right at the top and mm. i really enjoy the like email tagging feature where you can be like at lavinia mm. at yusin uh, and then you just kind of like talk about their actions beside the at, even though they're like on the email chain anyways, just by virtue of being tagged and it's like in a different color, I think your eye immediately goes there. And then if it's at the top of the email as well, I think they're more likely to do it than if it's at the bottom. True. Yeah. I love that. I didn't think of that. I always put next steps at the at the bottom and I can definitely see how like someone is busy and just like skims through they're like well I've been in the meeting I know what we talked about yeah they're like I've read Lavinia's email signature before I don't need to scroll to the bottom (laughs) and speaking of great tips we hope to give some to our next hotline design hotline caller Hi, Hotline Design Hotline. I'm Matt. I'm a long-time listener and second-time caller. With my current role, I'm facilitating a number of show-and-tells. More often than not, one of my stakeholders will focus in on the obscure details and go off on a tangent. I was hoping to get your advice on how I can bring the meeting back on track. Thank you. Hi, Matt. Thank you so, so much for calling in. So I definitely hear that a lot and have experienced countless meetings where they kind of go off the rails Um, especially like with certain stakeholders who just really like grab onto something and then they can take the conversation elsewhere and meanwhile you're watching the time ticking away and looking at your precious agenda being like no so I would say that a tried and true consultant trick 
is the parking lot. And this works well for workshops where you're putting up stickies, but also in meetings where if someone starts to go on kind of off on a tangent as soon as you can, you say, yes, thanks so much. I hear that. And you reiterate the topic and they say, yep, we've got a lot to get through in this meeting, but I hear what you're saying. So let's just take that idea, put in the parking lot and we'll circle back. And to be truthful, sometimes you circle back, sometimes you don't. When you don't, that's not a lot of empathy for the stakeholder, but sometimes it do be like that. I hope that helps. Yeah. To be honest, I don't know if I have much more to add. I think what what I was going to say is almost identical. It's like, yes, thank you so much for that contribution. I think it's a great point. Is it okay if maybe we arrange a separate meeting about this? It sounds very important. But I feel like that's a version of parking lot as well. And I guess another thing that I do is sometimes just kind of say, oh, absolutely, that is a great point. For this meeting, we're mainly focusing on this, this and this, but we can talk about this later. But it's just a version of kind of the same thing. Um, And sometimes, unfortunately, if someone is senior enough, no one has the kind of audacity (laughs) to like interrupt them I've been in those situations so I I definitely think it's hard but if when possible don't interrupt let them finish their point but when there is a a way in just say yes amazing let's talk about it later I like how the parking lot and like let's take this offline are the same thing and I do picture this parking lot as like that room at the end of Indiana Jones where they like lock up all the treasure and just like it's completely dark everything's in boxes nothing has been touched on again that's not to say you can't but just in a lot of cases especially if it is really something that's like out of left field that will really kind of detract from the objectives of the meeting Mm. it's okay to put something in the parking lot Agreed. I definitely think that this is a learned skill and I think it takes a lot of practice to know how to navigate your way successfully out of these conversations that are not always relevant to what you want to focus on. Um, all of the things that you said are definitely very, very helpful, very relevant and they're great tactics for knowing how to respond in the moment. I also think maybe there's a piece in there about just trying to prevent these conversations in the first place at the start of the meeting just being very clear about what you want to focus on what your goals are and reminding the team or the stakeholders you know sometimes when people tend to focus on obscure things like why is this text not aligned in your ui design for example just being very clear that yep you've heard them i think leading with a guess saying thank you for noticing like that's a really great point i'll be making these changes but i guess you know our goal is not to focus on the specific ui designs today and just gently bring them away from that curve by going back to the goals of the meeting. Yeah, 100%. I would even say like a step further in the delivery of the line that's like, thanks, but no thanks. It's yeah, thank you for being like, so involved bringing this up for this meeting, we can't. So like the positive, the negative, and then even ending with a positive. It's like an Oreo. So it's like the Oreo or at camp, we used to call it mm, kind of like the shit yeah, sandwich. Yeah, just being... <laughs> Where it's like... PG. (laughs) Polite. Exactly. (laughs) Saying something nice, like, thank you so much for 
picking up on that then the negative yeah we're we're not we're not actually going to be talking about this because we need to stay on track but i love that you picked up on that and like let's talk about that offline or like thank you for seeing this in a broader context or thinking more holistically mm. so that yeah it's not like kanye west interrupting taylor swift right <laughs> that <laughs> So it's not like grabbing the mic back from someone and being like, um, yeah, no. Um, Beyonce had the most legendary album. Of all time. Yeah. Stakeholder, I love you and I'm going to let you finish. But no. <laughs> Which is a positive. It is leading with a positive. I don't think he closed with a positive, though. So. No. no. Yeah. So I hope that... Yusin Lavinia and I, Kanye West and Taylor Swift helped you, Matt, in answering that question. And thank you so much for calling in. And if you have a question, you can always write into Hotline Design Hotline at anchor.fm slash Hotline Design Pod. And as always, you can find us at Hotline Design Pod on Instagram and Hotline Design Pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. We're sorry. You have reached a number that has been disconnected. Please check the number and try your call again.